Scripture reading this morning comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And the word of God reads as follows. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Christmas time is filled with with great songs and actually and lots of singing. Just this past Wednesday, we had an opportunity to do some uh, caroling in the neighborhood and And what a pleasure it was to see the joy on people's faces as they realized what we were actually doing. Is this group of people actually caroling? Especially, particularly when we were outside of Walmart, right? People weren't expecting to hear carolers uh, as they were pushing their buggies to their cars after leaving Walmart. But it was just a, it was was joyous and interesting to see um, that, why were they so surprised? Why were they so shocked? Why would, did it bring so much pleasure? Well, I'm sure it was because of the great singing that was going on. Right? Amen. That's right, Sven. Uh, yeah, that's right. It was some great singing. But even more than that, singing during the Christmas season is, it just seems appropriate. It's a joyous time, and that joy is often accompanied by singing. The world has written songs to celebrate the season. Songs like Frosty the Snowman and and Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. While the world celebrates the snow and they they celebrate reindeer and and mistletoes, the, the church has written songs that capture and celebrate the true reason for the season. Christian songwriters have given us some deep, God-honoring, Christ-exalting, theologically rich songs that, uh, that speak to the birth of this king, the birth of our Savior. In fact, a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, it may have been last year, time just flies by, uh, we, we actually took some of those Christmas songs and preached through some of the theology found in those songs. I mean, these are just, yeah, they're just great, great songs. Oh, come, all ye faithful. Silent night. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Holy night. These are just glorious, theologically rich songs that the church has given to us. But out of all of these wonderful and glorious and God-exalting songs, I have one favorite verse. One favorite verse out of all these songs. It's the 
It's the third verse of Isaac Watts' Joy to the World. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. This verse, this verse, when we sing it, it grips my heart every time. It grips me because, as Christians, this is where we live. Every morning, you and I wake up to a world that has been cursed. It is a world full of sin and sorrow, and we live among people who have been radically affected by the curse. Now, when you hear the word curse, your, your, your mind may take you to the world of fantasy where witches cast spells on unsuspecting little ones. Or maybe you think of the sports world, baseball in particular. I don't know if you knew this, but baseball is a very superstitious sport. Very, very superstitious. And throughout its decades of history, curses have been believed to be placed upon teams due to their lack of winning World Series. There, there is the curse of the Bambino in the case of the Red Sox when they, when they sold Babe Ruth for just a little bit of money to the, uh, to the New York Yankees. There's the curse of the Billy Goat that was upon, placed upon the Cubs because they, they, they haven't won, they didn't win the World Series until this past year, right? For 108, 108 years. Well, Curses are not just the making of fantasies or, or sports teams. The, the Bible speaks of a curse. It's not the curses we read about in books or joke about with sports teams. The curse is not cured by drinking a potion. It is not cured finally by winning the World Series. The curse that the Bible talks about, the cure takes much more than that. It would take God himself. But, but before we talk about the joy of Christmas, the joy of the cure coming, we need to explore the sorrow of the curse. Here's the sorrow. Here is the sorrow of the curse. The curse reaches further than you think. Nobody likes to hear that phrase. The phrase, it's worse than you think. Whether it is the doctor saying that to you regarding some symptoms that you have been experiencing or the, the mechanic giving you a diagnostic on your car, nobody likes to hear the phrase, it is worse than you think. They're just tough words to swallow. And if I, if I did not have good news for you this morning, I would hesitate to say them to you. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, the curse runs deep. There isn't a crack, a crevice, where it hasn't reached. All are affected. Verse 10 of our text says, 
For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Whether, whether you realize it or not, if uh, you are under the law of God, born under it. And since you and I are born under it, this makes us lawbreakers because no one keeps the law perfectly. If you are going to live by it, which we all try to do apart from grace, apart from grace, we all try to live by the law, then we need to keep that every single dot and tittle of that law perfectly 24 7 365. Perfectly. Like I said, we're all lawbreakers. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This, this right here is the condition of every human being. In fact, it is the, it is the one universal in this world that is true of every man woman, and child. We are under a curse. This curse is the curse of sin and death. When Adam and Eve disbelieved God in the garden, when they believed they knew best, when they were unsatisfied with him and ate from the tree, they plunged all of humanity into this curse, which brought with it Sin and death. Sin, 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 sin is disobedience. It is unbelief. It is that which misses the mark. Sin is blemish, wrongdoing, discontent, rebellion, nonconformity to God's wills, ways, and it is imperfection. This is the curse of sin that affects all those born into this world. Once you begin to break down and get a, get a clear picture of what sin is, once you get a definition of what it is, it is, hard, it is not hard to convince someone that they have at least sinned. Because nobody admits they have followed God's commands and standards perfectly. Once you start breaking it down, Ray Comfort and, and Kirk Cameron have made a, a ministry out of this. I don't think, I don't think it's very hard. Once you show people the law, once you, once you read for them the Sermon or the, on the Mount or, or take them to the Ten Commandments and start breaking them down and showing them what Jesus actually meant, it is not hard to convince people that they have at least sinned. And then the jump to they're a sinner is very short. The hard part. The difficult part comes from trying to convince people that the curse is far worse than they think. It's far worse than they think. And this becomes increasingly difficult when trying to convince Christians of this fact. Now, there isn't a Christian 
I'm not aware of one. Uh, there may be. I've heard stories of some, but I don't know. But I, there isn't a Christian who wouldn't admit um, that, that, to being a sinner. There wasn't a Christian around that, that I know, maybe you know, and you know, then the question is that they wouldn't admit to not being a, a, a sinner. But I wonder if we realize how deep that sin runs. I wonder if we comprehend how far, how far it reaches. It's, it's like water damage. Right? You walk in your house or you're, you're on the deck and you, you see a little watermark. And, and you wonder where that, that, that came from. And then, and, then, and then you get down and you start feeling around and it's soft. And then you realize that you've that you got to take down the wall or pull up the boards. And, and you realize and you see all of this water damage all over the place. What, what you, you thought you saw was just a little mark. But as you begin to peel away the surface, you saw the damage that it caused. Far worse than you thought. Like water, sin gets into every area of our lives. The areas that are not easily noticeable. It's the blind spots that get us. And that is why I say sin reaches further than we think. It's not in the big and blatant areas of our lives. It's in the areas that we're failing to pay attention to. The curse reaches further than we think. You know, the curse reaches to our view of ourselves. It reaches to our view of ourselves. It affects our rightness before God and others. Boy, we are in love with ourselves. We love our views and opinions on things. It's amazing how you and I think we know best. We, we think we know better than God. It's amazing how you and I think we know what impresses God. We, we see ourselves and we think that we are God's prized pupil. We put ourselves as the hero of every story. Like, like, like Peter, like Peter, we say to Jesus, yeah, yeah, all, all the other disciples will leave you, Jesus, but, but not me. I'm not going anywhere. How'd that work out for you, Peter? Listen, there are men and women in the church who look like they would make the church all-star team. They give, they serve, they show up when the church doors are open, but their hearts are far from God. For them, it's about showing how well they are able to follow the commands of God rather than delighting in the commands of God. We have, brothers and sisters, too many Pharisees in the church looking down on the tax collectors. That's, remember the parable in Luke 18 where, where, where the Pharisee goes to pray and he, he says he thanks the Lord that he's not like the sinful tax collector. He gives and, and he serves at the church. 
too many men and women in the church seeking to justify themselves in the eyes of God and in the eyes of others. We love our rightness. We must defend our honor. We must prove we belong. I'm not just going to tell you I'm a Christian. I'm going to show you I'm a Christian. Brothers and sisters, this is not just something that I see in others. You understand, I've been preaching this to myself all week. I, I see it in my own heart as well. You, you just experience just a little bit of growth, a little bit of maturity, and, and watch the temptations that come to you. You start comparing. You start, you start thinking how quickly you got over a sin that others are struggling with. You start doing some counseling and you say, man, I would, my marriage would never go that far. You get, a, you get a set of convictions and now everyone must adhere to your convictions. You get a little knowledge and all of a sudden you become the doctrine police. This goes on in the hearts of Christians. People who read their Bibles every day, who pray, who come and serve. We all, we all self, self-justify ourselves. We, we have all sought to defend our rightness before God and others. It is something that we have all done. And if you don't think you have ever, ever suffered from self-righteousness and self-justification, then it is a blind spot. And you are proving my point. If Jesus doesn't tell us the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector, or if, if, if he doesn't rattle us with Matthew 7 20 and 21 where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. If we don't have these jarring reminders, we would self-justify ourselves right into hell. Someone has said self-justification, thinking your rightness before God, is a result of your keeping the law, it's the silent killer. It is the deadly killer. The, that, 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 that Pharisee left the temple thinking all was good. But he was headed for destruction. And he had no clue. Why? Because the curse reaches further than we think. We lack, brothers and sisters, the ability to discern our hearts fully. We, we think we are better than we are and we get puffed up. We, we, we lack the humility to hear the loving rebuke of others. We lack the courage to call attention to it in others. Brothers and sisters, the, the truth of the matter is this true. The, you know, total depravity, it means that we, we, are, we are not as bad as we could be. But you do understand the curse 
reaches further than you think. Oh, the curse not only reaches to our view of ourselves, it reaches to our trust system, our, our systems of trust, that what, we, what we place our hopes in, our, our trust in. I, I don't know if we realize how much what we trust, how much that which we hope in affects our disposition. Again, these, these are areas that are not so easily identified in our lives. Oh, as Christians, I know we say with, with passion, with, with reckless abandon that we trust in Christ. We declare and we, we sing from the mountaintops. We shout that our hope is in God. Well, then why do you get angry? If your hope and your trust is in God, why do you get offended? Why are you fearful? Why are you impatient? Why are you worried? Well, it's because so-and-so, you know, you know what they did. You don't understand what they did to me. You start self-justifying yourself. Listen, the one who trusts in God is not easily moved or shaken. Psalm 125.1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Listen, when you, when you are fully trusting in the Lord, your emotions shouldn't fluctuate. The reason you get angry, the reason you get hurt, offended, worried, is because that which you trusted in changed. You thought they wouldn't do you like that. You thought you, the, the, the money wouldn't run out. You, you thought they knew better than that. You thought you deserved better. You thought things would always be this way. Brothers and sisters, things and people change. <laughs> and if you are thrown off when they do, then you are demonstrating in some way that part, at least Part of your trust is in that very thing. Part of it. Oh, your, your full trust may not be in those things, but trusting in those things even a little bit is an offense to God. They, they, they may be very good things. They may be very good things. But God wants our full and complete trust. Fully and completely, he wants your trust. He wants what is best for us. And so he knows only complete dependence upon him will bring and produce for us the joy that we are looking for. Lasting, eternal, never changing. This is this is what Jesus was trying to communicate to the 72 in, in Luke 10 when they came to him. They, they had just cast out myriads of demons, and they said, they said, Jesus, you should have seen us out there. We were casting out demons. We were healing the sick. And Jesus looks at them and says, oh, really? Oh, really? Don't, don't rejoice. That, that you are healing the sick and, and, and casting out demons. There's going to be a time when you can't do that 
Don't let that control your emotions. You rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice in that, because that doesn't change. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't trust in those things that can change. Trust fully in me. Let, let me govern your emotions. Jesus wanted them to fully trust in him. But here's the, here's the question. I just, and, and you know, if, if we know God brings the lasting joy that we want, why is it that we don't fully trust him? You want to know the reason? Because the curse reaches further than we think. Jeremiah 17.5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. The reason we trust ourselves, the reason we trust in material things, the reason we trust in others is because we are suffering under the curse. Look, we could spend all day long we could talk about this all day long, exploring the far-reaching effects of the curse. Like I said earlier, this is, this is where we live. We wake up each morning to a world that is under a curse. We live among a cursed people. Curse runs deep. It runs deep. Just, 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 when, you, just when you address an area where the curse is evident, you, you apply the cure, and then another area pops up. Or, or, that say, or that area that you thought was gone comes back again. I bet Peter, I, I bet Peter thought he was finished with his ethnic racial superiority at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. But lo and behold, it showed up again in Galatians 2 when Paul had to check him. Peter was beginning to realize how far the curse reached. Not only are our lives affected by this curse, not only are our lives affected by it, the physical world suffers under its effects. Galatians 3, I mean, excuse me, Genesis 3 and 17. And God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the, uh, the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground because of you. Work, creation, childbirth, all affected. You wonder why it's so hard to get up on Monday morning and go to that job? It's because it has been affected by the curse. You still got to go, though. <laughs> reaches further than you think. Reaches further than you think. It isn't enough. The curse not only brought sin, it brought death. Everyone under the curse dies. No one, no one escapes it. God told Adam and Eve if they ate of the tree, they would surely die. They would die a physical death, but also a spiritual death. Separation from this life and separation from God. You haven't realized it or not. 
brothers and sisters, when we, when we see and we feel and we experience sin in this world, when we, when we see and experience death in this world, it is a reminder that there is something significantly wrong with this world. There is not a person alive. I don't know a person alive who would not say there is something amiss with this world around us. The Bible tells us what's wrong. The world is under a curse and it reaches further than we think. That is the sorrow. That, that's the sorrow that we come to Christmas with. That, that, that's the sorrow. The curse reaches further than we think. There is something amiss in this world. But without that sorrow, we could not fathom nor comprehend the joy of Christmas. If we didn't understand that sorrow, we, we could not celebrate, we could not rejoice at Christmas, for at Christmas, the cure for the curse came into the world. <laughs> Jesus, God incarnate, was born to reverse the curse. And we find the cure would reach further than we could ever imagine. It, it would reach further than we could have ever imagined. Yes, yes, the curse reaches further than we think, but the cure would, would, would extend further than we could ever imagine. In fact, it would reach far as the curse is found. That is where the joy of Christmas comes from. Joy doesn't come simply from the gifts and the, and the parties, the lights and the Christmas trees. Joy comes because Jesus, born in Bethlehem, meant the sorrow of the curse was coming to an end. We celebrate Christmas not just because Jesus was born, but because what he was born to do. He was, he was born to bring a cure for the curse. And how? Would he cure this world that had been under a curse? Our text tells us this morning. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus, the sinless one, the king of glory, the perfect, holy, righteous one, to reverse the curse, would himself be cursed. Brothers and sisters, that is unimaginable. If, if we were to write this story up, this is not how we would do it. We wouldn't write it like this. The sinless one be cursed for sinful people? That's not how we would write it up. I don't know if we contemplate enough what Jesus becoming a curse for us means. Here's what it means. He would take on our unbelief. He would bear our discontent, 
our disobedience, our rebellion, our impatience, our worry, our anger, our jealousy. Upon his shoulders would be our self-righteousness and our self-reliance. Jesus becoming a curse for us meant he put on our soiled, sin-stained garments. It means the king would become like his subjects and the one deserving of full and utter and complete service would then serve. This is what it means for Jesus to become a curse for us. All of our sin was placed upon him. Is there anything, is there anything more glorious than what the Apostle Paul proclaims in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21? He who knew no sin would become sin for us. He who knew no sin, no sin, no curse would become cursed for us. He took our sin. He took our sin. But that's not all. He would take on death. He would take on death. The, the crying baby in a Bethlehem major, manger would become the bloody Savior on a Roman cross. That would be what the cure for the curse would require. So heinous and extensive in scope was the curse. God himself, the, the sinless one, the king of glory, the one born king would have to become a curse to cure us. The curse reaches further than we think, but the cure reaches farther than we can imagine reaches farther than we can imagine because, because you do understand that the cure redeems. It redeems. The text tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You and I, we were purchased. Purchased. In fact, we were blood-bought by Jesus. Which means we are his. We belong to him. We're not the property of Satan. We're not the possession of this world, but we belong to Christ. And you know what? He's not returning you. He's not returning you. When he redeemed you, he knew everything about you. Christ did not hang up there on the cross simply to save you for a little while, discover something and say, nah, I don't want him anymore. Those dark places you don't want anyone to see? The cracks and the crevices? Those places the curse has, has reached that aren't visible to the, to the naked eye? Those, those areas the law reveals and it brings uh, shame and, and guilt and condemnation? Christ sees it all. He sees all those areas, and he still redeems you. He, he redeems you. You belong to him forever. Why? Why? Because the cure reaches further than you can imagine. Oh, it, it, it doesn't just redeem. The cure 
restored. It restores. The cure makes over. It renews. You look at the miracles that Jesus performed. Lepers healed. Blind men given sight. Women healed of their diseases. There is nothing the blood of Jesus can't make new. There is nothing beyond the cure. You, you don't come to Jesus with your issues and hear him say, sorry, we're still working on a cure for that. No, the cure heals completely. That's the promise, brothers and sisters. It heals completely. Yes, yes, sin still exists in our lives and it still exists in this world, but the cure has come and it's going to reach far as the curse is found. Are there areas, the cure is going to reach it. The areas in your life that have been affected by the curse and you're wondering if Jesus is going to reach there and heal it, he will heal it far as the curse is found. Their hurt, distrust, pain, addiction, unforgiveness, sadness, brokenness, whatever it is, the cure reaches further than you can imagine. Because there is nothing, there is nothing that can't be restored. There's a glorious passage in Amos 9. Get to the end of Amos 9 and you should be rejoicing. It's 11 and 12. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its rooms and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Oh, he restores. Do you believe? Do you believe that God restores? If you are, if you are broken, you are in the right place to be restored. If you are broken this morning, you are in the right place place to be restored because here is where the cure is dispensed. We proclaim the gospel each week because we are giving you a dose of the cure every week. I, uh, in my early 20s, I, had the, um, I worked for a, uh, a guy uh, who restored antique furniture. Now, before that, yeah, some people are like, oh, yeah, well, I don't have skills like that, so don't, don't get excited, right? Antique, uh, I worked for a guy that restored antique furniture. And before that, I worked in a, some construction doing some demolition work and things like that. And I remember it as clear as day. My first week uh, seeking to restore antique furniture, there are delicate, there are delicate pieces to furniture and stuff. And uh, I was working on a piece of furniture and I just kept on breaking it. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Right. That's what I was doing. Like, you know, I, 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 was, I was breaking pieces off this furniture and I was getting frustrated and I was getting angry and I was getting scared because I thought I was going to get fired. And, and the guy I was working with, he says, it's all good. Don't worry. When, when people break things, they bring it to us to repair. You're in the right place to break things. When, when you break it, it's here, and, and we're going to fix it. Brothers and sisters, if you are broken this morning, you are in the right place to be fixed. You're in the church. 
where we are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the cure. Oh, the cure restores, but finally, the cure reaches. The cure reaches. Isaac Watts penned the line, he comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. I love that verse because it reminds me you are never too far from the healing power and grace of the cure. Galatians 3, in our text, verses 13 and 14, declared that Jesus was cursed so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Do you know how far-reaching that is? Do you know how far-reaching that is? The Gentiles, we are told by Paul, were a people with no God and no hope in this world. They were far off. That was a result of the curse. Listen, no Gentile believed that they were in, within reach of the mercy and the grace of the God of the Jews. But it flowed to them. It flowed to the Gentiles. How do I know that? Because I'm standing here this morning proclaiming this word to you. You are sitting there this morning hearing the word of God. The curse, the cure reached you. Listen, you are never out of reach of the mercy and the grace of God. His blessings flow far as the curse is found. It, it reaches, it reaches, it reaches further than you can imagine. No more let sin and sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Oh, he, he came to be a curse for us. And his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Oh, if you're here this morning, for the first time, you are realizing that you are a, a sinner. You realize that, that you are under a curse, that the curse is far worse than you thought. The good news is the cure has come. It has come into our world. And how do you activate the cure? Faith. How do you apply it? Faith. Our text tells us the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith in Christ, the one who became sin for us. Trusting, trust his keeping the law, not your keeping the law. And you know what? When you do that, when you trust in him, oh, you will Experience lasting joy this Christmas because you'd re you'll realize no more sorrow, no more sin, no more thorns infesting the ground. Oh, Jesus 
came to make his blessings flow. And it reached. It reached far as the curse was found. Let us pray.